and I am tremendously excited to be speaking today on the morning show with Susan A. Clancy, a postdoctoral fellow in psychology at Harvard University and responsible for one of the most interesting books I have read in a long, long time called Abducted, How People Come to Believe They Were Kidnapped by Aliens. It's published by Harvard University Press. And this is a, a topic which has uh, been of great interest to me for a, for a long time. And uh, so I'm very, very pleased that I have uh, connected with the author, Susan Clancy, who actually is back home in Nicaragua. So through the wonders of modern technology, we can actually have this conversation and talk about her thoroughly fascinating book. Susan Clancy, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. One of the intriguing things, and you talk about this uh, in the book actually at some length, is how this is the kind of topic that is not necessarily uh, easily and warmly embraced by your fellow scientists, as, as it were. I mean, as a serious research topic that you have had to... Um, You've had to withstand uh, sort of the suspicious scrutiny, maybe, of, of, of others wondering if this is really a topic worthy of serious consideration. Talk with us about that. Yes, that is definitely the case. Um, I think especially at Harvard, because I don't know if you're aware, but John Mack, who was a faculty member at the Harvard Medical School, wrote a book in the 1990s called uh, Abduction. Um, about his research with alien abductees. And John Mack, despite being a Pulitzer Prize-winning psychiatrist, actually believed these stories. So he really shook up the Harvard faculty, um, really baffled a lot of people because they didn't understand how he could come to these conclusions. So I think Harvard was already primed to you know, not, <laughs> not really welcome any more research on alien abductees. Because but, you know, I must say... I must say that, you know, once the research was published, I think people did in the scientific community did see the benefit of studying memory distortion in this group. So eventually, once they saw the conclusions, I think they were happy with it. But just initially, it was kind of a, a shocker. Uh, did you happen to see the PBS Nova documentary on this topic, which is, was done quite some time ago, maybe 10 years ago or maybe even longer ago than that? No, I did not see uh, that. I, I only mention it because uh, the, the producer whom we interviewed on this program uh, said much the same sort of thing, that uh, a program like PBS's Nova, very, very highly respected, was in a sense kind of stepping out on a limb by <laughs> choosing to approach a topic like this. I mean, they were risking a little bit of initial derision, let's say. Yeah, that's true. And what's interesting is uh, Harvard actually um, conducted a 15-month review, sort of studying John Mack's research and how he came to these conclusions to find out if it was actually appropriate what he was doing. But the conclusion of the review, I think, is very important. The conclusion was you can study anything you want as long as you're using appropriate scientific methods to study what you want to study. And I think that's an important thing. There should be no topic that's too weird for anybody to study as long as you're going to use the scientific method to understand and collect data on the topic. So, I mean, that's what I did, and uh, right. that's why I think it was okay. Well, and you mentioned, yeah. I think, in the, in the preface to the book that, that in, in a sense, there are three reasons why this is an important topic, and, and one of them is because it is such a, a strange belief, in a sense, I mean, contrary to so much of 
what we believe about uh, the world, and also the fact right. that that these that that it can be harmful uh, to people to embrace strange beliefs. Uh, Absolutely. Let's. Yeah, I mean, like I could. In general, having a strange belief, I mean, we all have strange beliefs uh, to some degree, but, uh, you know, that's okay. Somebody could say, who cares? So we have strange beliefs. However, when the beliefs that you hold strongly have the potential to hurt you, it becomes a real problem. And, I mean, I can think of one example. I had a very close friend who had serious, uh, well, it was actually brain cancer, who decided to give up on traditional medical treatments and endorse a macrobiotic diet. And she thought the research there supported this macrobiotic diet. And anyway, this was a treatable form of cancer, and she died six months later. And it was always interesting to me how someone so smart could decide that a macrobiotic diet was an appropriate treatment for cancer. So, I mean, that's an example of a pseudoscientific belief that hurts somebody. Hmm. One of the things that aided you in, in this study was uh, a previous study which you uh, had done, I think maybe early in the 1990s, uh, when you got into this whole fascinating area of recovered memory, the uncovering right. of, of, of memories of, of traumatic events which may or may not have, have happened. Uh, you, you undertook a, a study which... Uh, proved to be really kind of a turbulent experience for you. Just tell our listeners briefly about that and then uh, how that study aided you in, in this particular work then a few years later. Sure. Um, and I think the segue into this question is to say that despite having written a book on alien abductions, I was never really interested in aliens or alien abductions. What I was interested in is false memory creation, so how people can come to develop memories usually in psychotherapy, of things that did not happen to them. Um, and this was in the context of the childhood sexual abuse uh, field and especially the controversy over recovered memories of childhood sexual abuse. So in the 1990s, there was this big uh, hullabaloo over recovered memories and were they being created in psychotherapy or was there actually a thing such as called repression, et cetera, et cetera. So when I got to Harvard, what I wanted to do was I wanted to study these people who had recovered memories in therapy, and I wanted to understand how their memory functioning worked. So was this group more prone than others to create false memories, or was it possible that these memories were actually true? So that's how I got into the whole uh, false memory thing in the first place. But in 19, I mean, the topic was just explosive. I mean, you don't, if you're going to study sexual abuse, don't question the validity of the memories and the veracity of the memories that are recovered because it is too controversial. And you are, I mean, I was just attacked. My research showed that these people who recovered memories in therapy were more likely than other people to create false memories. So this was lending support to the idea that these probably aren't real, they're false memories created by people who are susceptible to creating false memories. The research got published, the scientific method was found, and I was called a friend of pedophiles everywhere. Um, in the New York Times, a uh, well-respected colleague at Harvard said that my research was political and I had an agenda. 
And the emails were coming in, and it was just terrible. And I said, you know, I'm not going to study false memory creation in the sexual abuse area anymore because mm. it's too politicized. It upsets people. I need to find a group of people that <laughs> have a false memory that I am pretty darn sure it is a false memory and that it won't be as controversial. Interesting. I thought, hey, alien abductees. You know, it's. I just have to pause one moment here the, the the study that you that you were doing one thing that is so intriguing about it is the fact that in effect what your findings were showing is that at least for for many of these people with these recovered memories in fact it's very likely that they had not been sexually abused that 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 in fact this was that's a, a whole other i gotta tell you that's a whole other show topic right I'm well i'm sure I'm, but it's I'm but done it, with aliens yeah I'm right back no, to my research right. on sexual abuse and i'm writing a book on that right now yeah but it's intriguing to me that 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 news would not be welcomed i mean in, in a sense i mean someone being told i don't think this terrible thing in fact happened to you that people did not welcome that as as good news they could not get past the part about not being believed in effect, which says a lot about human beings, doesn't it, and our, our nature. Oh, that's a, a really excellent point. It's funny that other pe nobody has said that to me in a few years, but that's an excellent point. But you, you have to understand the sort of context of the whole uh, sexual abuse awareness movement and the whole sort of uh, zeitgeist that you're working in is that sexual abuse has been hidden for so long. You know, for centuries, women have been abused. Nobody talks about it. In the 1990s and actually 1970s on, suddenly there's a lot of awareness about sexual abuse, which is very good for victims, right? And then if you come along and you start saying that these memories aren't true, even though you're right that it should make the individual victim happy, you are, in a sense, questioning the existence of sexual abuse. I mean, that's what people hear. You're questioning the prevalence and the severity, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that is why it's so tough to well, question and, the veracity of these memories. Right. And, of course, in a given instance, it's, it's, it's not possible to know if, in fact, this happened, which I can see now why you found yourself drawn to this other field of study, studying people who believe that they were abducted by aliens, something which most people would really have trouble believing is, is, is at all possible. And then it, that allows you to study this whole field without the atmosphere being quite so highly charged. Yes. However, might I say I was wrong about that. <laughs> you know, very, very wrong. And in fact, uh, that's one of the re reasons that I'm done with alien abductees. <laughs> it's, it's not any less controversial than sexual abuse, and I would rather go back to my home area where I think I can have an impact on uh, you know society, hopefully with my research, uh, because the alien abductions were just as tough. People are infuriated, and whereas usually I infuriated the women with sexual abuse, with the alien abductions, it's men, and they're mean if you're out there and you've written me a nasty letter or email, please know it's a painful experience. Hmm. Uh, people really believe this stuff, and they're angry. And they are not dissuaded from it. I mean, they would rather believe that this terrible thing happened to them than, than believe that somehow this memory is a false one. We're talking, Absolutely. We're talking with Susan Clancy, and we're talking about her fascinating new book called Abducted, How People Come to Believe. They were kidnapped by aliens. You talk uh, in, early in the book about how it took a while to convince Harvard's Institutional Review Board 
that this was a viable research project, but once the green light was given, how did you go about contacting some of these people who uh, believed that they had had this experience? <laughs> yeah, I, I was so naive back then. Okay, I ran an ad. I, uh, I put out an ad in the local Boston papers, and the ad said, have you been abducted by aliens? So it was pretty simple, pretty concise, straight to the point, and uh, ran the ad, and the phone rang off the hook for about a month. Hmm. So this gave you some sense of just the dimensions of this, that this was not quite the scattered phenomenon you, you expected, apparently. Well, it also gave me a sense about how uh, potentially controversial the topic was going to be, because most of the people that answered the ad were not alien abductees. They were people in the Boston community, ticked off, doesn't have Harvard, have better money, I mean, mm. better things to do with their research. Then there were people playing jokes on their friends, like, this is Bob at Boston Volkswagen, I've been abducted, call me. <laughs> then you call Bob, and it turns out he doesn't know what you're talking about, and he's really incensed that you called him. And then there were Latin Americans whose English was not so good, and they misunderstood the ad, and they thought I meant abducted at the border by U.S. immigration. I mean, it was just terrible. Mm. And then uh, there were people who thought they had been abducted, but they were in the minority. Mm. Interesting. Um, and then once they answered the ad, it's, it was very tough to get them to participate, because just because they wanted to talk about their experiences doesn't mean they wanted to come in and sign a consent form and subject themselves to the memory tests in the lab. So, As you began to connect with some of these people and, and became connected to, in a sense, this network which is out there of people who have had this experience or believe they do and, 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 and share this and this sort of community that's out there, as you began to talk to them, I was intrigued how you said that in many cases as you would have conversations with them, we used the same words but with different meanings. That, for instance... Uh, to them, evidence meant anecdotes. It, evidence wasn't data in the way that you would use the word evidence. Right. I mean, that really shows how complicated this had to be uh, to approach with these people, that you were, you were speaking, in a sense, different languages with the same words. Yeah, I know. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it comes down to this. Uh, are people being abducted by aliens? I say no. Why? There's no evidence to support alien abduction. People who believe it say yes, people are being abducted. Why? Because there's evidence to support alien abduction. So then you butt heads over that. But when, you, when it comes down to it, you just have different definitions for the word evidence. I mean, for me, evidence has to be something objective. You know, show me an alien or something unambiguous, and I'll believe it. For them, evidence is what other people say, and it's uh, ambiguous marks on the body, and it's uh, you know articles written on the Internet about people who saw aliens, etc. So, I mean, it's just a completely different definition and understanding of the word evidence. They, you said they hadn't been... hard to talk. Right. They said they hadn't been drilled in the application of logic, argument, rigorous thinking, and appropriate standards of, of evidence. Right. But you go but on. You know to, what? Mm -hmm. I wanted to say nobody is. I mean, that, when <laughs> I wrote, I, I think I wouldn't have written that sentence again because I think I sound a little bit more supercilious than I want to. A little I mean, bit dismissive. Is, is Carl. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Carl Sagan wrote in his wonderful book that everyone should read, The Demon Haunted World, that scientific thinking does not come naturally. I mean, people need to be taught how to think in terms of probability and parsimony, and. 
you know, it doesn't come naturally to anybody. So these alien abductees, one of my conclusions is, are really no different from any group that holds a strong belief in something for which there's no scientific evidence. Hmm. I mean, intelligent design advocates are another example of that right now. Or Anyway, so I, 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 it's, it's unfair to just point this directly on alien abductees. I think most of us are not well-versed in thinking uh, objectively or scientifically. And we don't construct our beliefs in that way. So a- alien ab- abductees no. are not, not alone in that respect. I think right, and that's hopefully one of the points of the book, right? Mm-hmm. A very important point you make in this same chapter is when you say, um, when you talk about the idea of burden of proof, that anyone who makes an extraordinary claim has to prove it and not right. expect others to disprove it. I mean, that really makes this difficult because people are operating from two completely different starting points. I mean, uh, you're, you're dealing with people who will believe they were abducted by aliens until something comes along that disproves it, when in fact the burden of proof needs, in fact, to be on them since, because of the nature right. of the kind of claim they're making. That's exactly right. But... Uh yeah, I mean, that's that's right, but unfortunately for the abduction community, it's not working that way. I mean, people that really believe it, I'm thinking of researchers like Bud Hopkins and Dave Jacobs, I mean, they really look at the scientific community and say, you know, you this is what happened, you can't disprove it, uh, how do you explain this, how do you explain that, et cetera, when the truth is that they need to do a better job of providing evidence that these things are, in fact, happening. Again, to just restress that the burden of proof is on the people making the spectacular claim, not on us to disprove that that claim is happening. Hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the main problems, which I try and elaborate on in the book, but it's difficult to explain if you haven't had the experience, is that the alien abductees did experience something. They had a false memory that was created. It feels vivid. It feels traumatic. And for those people, nothing is going to convince them otherwise. I mean, once you have that vivid traumatic memory of what you believe happened to you, then there's no going back. So it's not like thinking scientifically or or objectively is going to help you once you have your vivid, strong belief in memory. Mm. I mean, at that point, there's no going back. It's important, too, to, to, to mention something that you discuss at great length, which is that a lot of the people you talk to have this belief that they've been abducted, but actually have no detailed memories of it. That's a really hard thing, uh, at least for me, to understand how you can believe that this hugely important thing happened to you and yet not remember that it happened or remember anything about it. That also it makes it very this... hard for me to understand until I started talking to them. And now it just, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, imagine this you have a couple of weird experiences like sleep paralysis, which we can talk about later if you want, or nightmares or problems with anxiety. And you're thinking, what is causing this? That doesn't make you weird. The whole world, I think, is looking to understand the symptoms they have that they don't want. I mean, just walk into Barnes and Nobles, and there's like 8,000 books in the self-help section purporting to help you explain your symptoms. So these people have had these weird experiences. They're looking around for explanations. And, you know, keep in mind, when you're looking for explanations, your search is limited by the explanations that you're actually aware of. So for average people, they don't know the base rate of depression or they don't know what a sleep paralysis experience is or they don't know how improbable it is that aliens exist. 
what they do know is that there are hundreds, thousands even, of books on alien abductions, TV shows on alien abductions, movies on alien abductions. So what tends to happen, what I found from my subjects, is nobody wakes up and says, I was abducted by aliens last night, sucked up a tube of light and experimented on. What people say is, I've had these weird experiences, I want to understand them, and what happened to me is exactly what happened to Whitley Stryber, or it's exactly what John Mack wrote about, or it's exactly what happened in Close Encounters in the third time, in, of the Third Kind, and then they say the magic words, which are, I wonder if I might have been abducted by aliens. It's like so they're... at that point, you're on the belief continuum. I mean, these people aren't sure. They're just thinking that this is a possible explanation for their symptoms. It seems to line up with what they are feeling or, or thinking. Exactly. You, you, you call this an attribution process. Alien abduction yeah. beliefs reflect attempts to explain odd, unusual, and perplexing experiences. And what's interesting, exactly. too, is that as <laughs> I like how you say that when people find themselves then on this belief continuum... Uh, most of the people, maybe all the people you talk to, they're not really interested in being pulled off of that belief continuum. They're really, more than anything, hungry for confirmation. They want confirmation yes. of their beliefs. They don't want those beliefs shaken. And uh, Yes, and again, I think that's any of us. I think that when most of us are in the process of discovering a reason, or perhaps we have discovered a reason, we think, for why we feel the way we do, we are very resistant to somebody taking that away um, because your explanation is providing meaning and understanding and confirmation that it's not really your fault or that you're not alone, et cetera. Or that and you're not crazy. That or, or that you're not no, crazy. Absolutely not. Hmm. Or that you're not crazy, exactly. We're exactly. speaking with Susan Clancy about her book, Abducted, How People Come to Believe They Were Kidnapped by Aliens. I think an interesting moment in your book is when you sort of stop and kind of give as close to confirmation as we can of just how almost absurdly remote this whole possibility is. I mean, the fact that, that, that we are, uh, thanks to a lot of science fiction and so on, we, a lot of people make a blithe assumption that, that we are not alone, that there, are, that there is other life in the universe like us and aliens that, that, that walk around and might be interested in us and so on. And uh, you don't spend a lot of time on this in the book, but you do talk a little bit about how that is an enormous uh, assumption to make. And, and it's not made with, with, with very good reason, actually, or, or evidence. Uh, it's quite possible that there aren't any other life forms anywhere else in the, unif in the universe like, like us. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> Just tell us a little bit about what, what leads you to state that so strongly. Well, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Since the beginning of time, people have thought that extraterrestrial life exists. Okay? So as I put it, since the flowering of Greek civilization, there's evidence that people have thought about and wondered and imagined what extraterrestrial life was like. Okay? So it's a very human thing to think that extraterrestrial life might exist and perhaps even speculate about what this extraterrestrial life looks like. Um, now, the universe is huge, and I think most people look up in the sky and they think it makes no sense that we would be alone. What makes us so special? And I understand that. And polls indicate that about 80% of the U.S. population 
believes that some sort of extraterrestrial life exists. Okay? So that does not make you weird or pseudoscientific or anything. I think that's just uh, sort of reasonable thinking. However, to make the leap of logic from extraterrestrial life might exist to it's possible then that it's abducting us from our bedroom is preposterous. And I think people don't think enough about how preposterous that is. I mean, fine, extraterrestrial life might exist, but how far away is it? Uh, is it, you know, able to communicate with us? What in God's name makes you think it would be able to uh, procreate with us? Is it breaking all of the laws of biology and physics and astronomy to get in our bedrooms undetected by, you know, any uh, radar systems or anything? I mean, it's just, it's preposterous. And I think the, the problem is people think, well, if extraterrestrial life might exist, then it's possible that it's coming down to abduct us. Hmm. When actually, those are two separate things entirely. Right. And just the thought that they would be that interested to do this over the course of many, many years in utter secrecy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And, the and more you... say in the book, don't they have refrigerators? <laughs> I mean, why do they keep taking the same damn parts over yeah, and over right. again? I mean, the more you think about it, the, the, the more absurd it becomes. Something else that is also interesting, you talk about how uh, one of the points of evidence often given, evidence in quotes by those who believe this, is that, well, then why would all these accounts be so consistent? Uh, why, do, why do all these different people all over the place who don't know each other, who haven't compared notes, why do they all seem to be describing the same thing happening over and over? Isn't that some evidence that it's a very similar sort of experience? You say uh, it isn't evidence at all, and, and actually the accounts aren't all that similar when you probe beneath the surface. Right. I mean, there are two ways to answer that. Right. I mean, the fact that all the accounts are the same doesn't tell you that much. It just tells you that everybody could be modeling their accounts on what was said beforehand. So Betty and Barney Hill in the 60s are widely regarded as the mom and pop of the alien abduction story. They were the ones that came out with the first account, which, by the way, was under hypnosis, which a lot of people don't know. And ever since then, the books and movies that have followed have been modeled on that. So it's not that surprising to me that accounts would all be the same. But it, the other thing to say, which is far more important, is the abduction stories are not that similar. When you've listened to them over five years from all different people, you see that the plot is always the same. So some kind of extraterrestrial life with big eyes came and took me for medical and sexual experiments. But the details vary tremendously. So what the aliens are wearing, what tools were used, what the purpose of the abduction was, what the spaceships insides looked like, et cetera, all vary as much as the individuals do that I'm talking to. You know, I remember as I've looked through various books about flying saucers supposedly coming to Earth and looking at all these different photographs, and they always look so different. And you, you think, so are these all coming from different planets, or are these all different models from the same huge fleet? I mean... How come, how come these various flying saucers never look more identical? Uh, well, you'll get a, yeah, a lot of people will say no. I mean, the truth is they do look identical. They look like flying saucers. Isn't that identical enough? Um, prior to the 1940s, what aliens came down into the, to the Earth on really were, I mean, they were very different. I mean, sometimes they looked like propeller planes. Sometimes they looked like balloons. I mean, it varied widely. 1946, you know, there was that pilot. What was his name? Tom? What was it? Arnold? God, why am I forgetting his name? 
but he was the one in 1946 that saw some flying objects while he was in his private plane. He reported it to the media. The media misinterpreted what he said. He said the objects he saw flew like flying, no, flew like saucers were if you skipped them across, saucers would if you skipped them across water. But what the media picked up is they were flying saucers. I find this so interesting. So yeah, he was describing their the movement. Papers, he was describing their movement, yeah, not their shape. he was describing their movement, exactly. But the shape is what got interpreted by the media, and ever since, we see almost always something that is a you know, saucer-like shape, which I, I, I get such a kick out of. Hmm. The, uh, the, the, <laughs> the act of conjuring up a memory of something like this supposedly happening is, of course, difficult for us to understand. You, you've studied psychology and, and know quite a lot about of it and, and talk about it in the book. One of the things you say is that whenever we come up with a memory of something which really happened, what we, in fact, are doing is constructing that memory. I mean, that's right. what's happening in our brain. And I think by, by describing it in that way, that helps us understand then how by... A, a, a slightly different process, someone might, in fact, then construct a memory of something that, in fact, never happened. Is that right? That's, that's exactly right. I, I think we always, well, we have had for a long time this idea that a memory is, you know, like a little computer file. You know, you pull it out and it's intact. Or a, a film, you know, you pull it out and whatever happened is exactly what happened. But that's not the case. I mean, memory researchers have known for about 50 years that fun memory is fundamentally reconstructive in nature, and memories can get distorted and decayed and changed over time. So what you remember is probably almost always different from what actually happened. Um, probably the core event is the case, but details can get changed over time or confused, et cetera. But the second thing, which is related to that, is we are able to create memories of things we didn't, the things that didn't happen to us. And that is because of what they call source monitoring problems. So once we acquire information, like aliens are green, and if we forget the source of where we learned that information, so did we see it in a movie, did we read it in Star Magazine, or did it happen to us, or did I imagine it? Once you forget the source of that memory, it's very easy to just get really confused between things you imagined and things that actually happened to you. And we are all prone to source monitoring problems, and I strongly believe that's what's happening with the alien abduction memories, is that people have just seen so much and read so much and worried about it themselves, and eventually under hypnosis, it all becomes kind of confused and turned into a memory um, that feels real but isn't. And that, of course, that uh, is, in, in a sense, confirmed by the fact that none of these kind of stories uh, have ever been recorded until after uh, science fiction began exploring this as a possibility. I mean, nobody in the 1920s or the 1890s or the 1730s was talking about aliens coming down and abducting them. And, and it, it seems yeah. like too much of a coincidence that it is only in the wake of science fiction films of the 50s and 60s that these stories uh, begin to emerge. 
Actually, yeah. I mean, that's basically correct. There were a few individuals in the 1800s, well, actually, as far back I can tell, 16, 17, 1800s, who have thought that they had contact with extraterrestrials. But they weren't abducting them, and right. extraterrestrials, I can assure you, look nothing like the ones today. I mean, today's sort of narrative, the green-eyed, the green, big-eyed creatures who take you for sexual experiments and all that, did not... Uh, I mean, we didn't read about them or hear about them until Betty and Barney Hill. Their account was turned into a book and a movie, a made-for-TV movie, actually, on NBC. Uh, however, what they believed happened to them was featured in movies in Hollywood and in episodes of The Outer Limits before they said it happened to them. Hmm. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is what would draw people to this belief. I mean, what sort of question is it likely to answer for someone, or in what way can it provide some kind of satisfaction or meaning for for someone? I mean, first of all, do you think we are talking about people to whom something has happened, not alien abduction, but something else, and this then serves as kind of a surrogate experience to explain that? Or uh, what? what is the most likely and prevalent explanation for why people find themselves drawn to this belief? Yeah, that's a big, good question. Um, okay, let me think about how to answer this. First of all, it's kind of two separate things. The first thing is um, how, how do you end up with the alien abduction memory? Let's talk about that. And we talked about already that you know, these people are looking for explanations for their symptoms and what they have read about or watched on TV about alien abduction sort of fits their pattern of symptoms. So they think, maybe I was abducted. And then for some of them, they end up uh, with these vivid traumatic memories of what happened, which are false memories, usually created under hypnosis. Okay? So you have these people, now they have a vivid memory of being abducted by aliens, and that's what they believe. But a lot of people say, why in God's name would you want to believe you were abducted by aliens? When today, there are probably so many other explanations for your symptoms and problems. Let me just go to Barnes & Nobles again. Why do you want to endorse alien abductions? And I think what a lot of people do not understand is that there are tremendous benefits uh, to be incurred from these memories. Um, when I uh, was interviewing the subjects at the end of the interview, I asked everybody, if you could do it all over again, would you prefer not to have been abducted? Okay? Nobody ever said, I wish I wasn't abducted. What they said basically was always the same, and to paraphrase, it's that, yes, the experiences were nightmarish and terrible and painful and traumatic. However, once I was put back in my bed, I was happy that it happened. Um, these experiences changed my life. They helped me understand there's something bigger or more important out there than me, or they made me realize I was special, or they made me see that there's something bigger than us out there watching over us, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in a sense, for these people, coming to believe you were abducted by aliens is a transformative experience. It really changes their life and helps them see things in a different way that's profoundly beneficial to them. And you say it probably doesn't matter to the abductees whether they're right or wrong. They simply feel better because of what they believe. Yes, 
And that's not just alien abductees. That is right. human nature. Uh, right. When you have a belief that meets some kind of emotional need, it's very reassuring and very reinforcing and very difficult to give up that belief. And so I think we're all capable um, of adopting beliefs that don't have much scientific support, providing those beliefs are meeting some emotional or psychological needs. I think one thing that was especially interesting is when you said that um, uh, the beauty of the abduction belief is that it does not just explain specific problems like headaches and sexual dysfunction. It offers a comprehensive view of the world, an explanation for human experience and the promise of a better life. I mean, there, there's like this whole universe which opens up if one believes this. Exactly. It also... And that's why I took away from it thinking, you know, in the end, why don't more people believe this? <laughs> you also said that for some of these people, it may be a belief that in a way absolves them of responsibility for something distressing in their life, that it sort of makes it a, a, a third party that entered their life and then left it again, and it ends up... And I hear that all the time. And think about it. I mean, it makes sense. You have people who I've talked to. I mean, some people just had weird symptoms, like a strange pattern of moles or sleep paralysis. But other people had some very, you know, profound, psychologically unsettling experiences. Like, why do I always have difficulty with relationships? Or why do I always feel different from other people? Or why do I always feel like I'm on the outside of life looking in at everybody else? I mean, these are deep questions that many, many, many of us have. And uh, once you get an explanation, it's, it's very rewarding. I mean, you know, if you've had trouble with relationships your whole life or maybe sexual problems, and then you find out that it's not because there's anything wrong with you, but it's because you've been chosen by this higher power, and this is just the, the <laughs> unfortunate side effects of that, then that, that's, that's pretty nice for you. I think you call that at one point creating an explanatory narrative. Uh, I mean, the, people, in a sense, sort of rewrite the story of who they are and why they are who they are. And, and, and this is a template which allows that to be done in some ways that obviously give a lot of people pleasure. Yeah. And, and, you know, people have written about this before, that it's, again, I just want to stress, it's not just alien abductees, but a lot of us are more interested in what they call narrative truth than historical truth. So once we find something that provides truth and meaning to us, it's not really so important whether it actually happened or we, we don't necessarily want to know. It's just that it's meeting a psychological need. One of the things we really learn in this book is what science is. And you talk about science in so many different and interesting ways. And one of my favorite moments is when you say, Science demands reason, argument, rigorous standards of evidence, and honesty. Its methods are stodgy and grumpy. <laughs> That's probably one reason why the relationship is so turbulent between, for instance, people who have had this belief and don't want those beliefs disturbed, and the scientist who steps in with this entirely different way of, of talking about this and, and studying this. I mean, no wonder this was as difficult an experience for you and for them uh, as it was. Yeah, it's not, uh, people are looking for more than what science can offer. Science is not going to give us necessarily profound answers to anything. And nothing is ever known for sure in science because 
something could change. More data could be collected, and it would change your original theories, et cetera, et cetera. And I think people are out there looking for meaning, and they're looking for something that's real and they can be sure of and that's going to fit these profound needs. And right now, science can't provide that for them, and that is why I think we're all capable of endorsing sort of these strange pseudo-scientific ideas. You say the best part of science, the thing that makes it work, is the fact that it is impartial and unbiased. It does not care what you want. It cares only about the truth. The book again is called The book is called Abducted: How People Come to Believe They Were Kidnapped by Aliens. A fascinating look at this phenomenon and also at the study undertaken by the author of this book Susan A. Clancy. The book published by Harvard University Press. I heartily recommend it. Susan Clancy, I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. Very best wishes with all of your future research. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on.